Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. Okay, so we've done our second of the Aussie classics, and we we have a little bit of debate in the office about this because it was Milo, and some people are saying that it's not an Aussie classic because it's from everywhere. Yeah, to be clear, I was not part of this debate. Yeah. <laughs> So do you, do you want to talk about what actually happened? You gave me no instructions. Yeah. So I gave you uh, um, some milk, like two liter thing of milk. And then I also gave you, which was not A2 milk, just no, normal milk. It was not. It yeah. was not. So, <laughs> um, And then I also gave you just a big carton of Milo. Yes. But then you just sat there and laughed at me while I tried to make this. Well, you had some issues. I have lots of issues. Yeah. <laughs> you had some issues because it didn't really mix well into the milk, which it doesn't. But that's one of the things we like about Milo. Who's we? I think just the general population. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that. And you didn't tell me how much to put in. Mm-hmm. And I asked if I could read the instructions and you said no. No. But you like undercooked it. Well, clearly. But I didn't want to be too aggressive. You can mm-hmm. always add more, Shani. Sort yeah, of take it out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But... um. Yeah, so we we did that, and you gave it a rating of? 7 out of 10. Okay, so better than the Weepix. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't you rate it higher than Weepix? Yeah, I would. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> we did it. I don't know what's next. We'll, we'll just have um, to wait well, and see. Well, I was thinking of doing a wagon wheel next. Okay, I don't even know what that is. All right, well, you will see. Is that the thing that's like a moon pie? It is, but much better. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Mark bought me a moon pie from the US and it's basically like a not good version of a wagon wheel. <laughs> I brought you something from Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, it's um but you'll have a wagon wheel and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Okay. Anyway. Well, stay tuned for that. <laughs> okay. Um and we also got a really nice voice message from our Matt. third. Our yeah. third voice message. Yeah. Um, and he basically talked about how he had a conversation with his fiance about um being a cash flow and a balance sheet. Yeah. How do you like that? I know. Yeah. You, you've made it out that I don't like this. You made fun of me for yeah. that. <laughs> anyway, should we get on with it? Let's do it. Okay. So today we're doing another Share Deep Dive and we get a lot of data at Morningstar. We get data on the most popular research reports uh, and we get uh, data on where investors are most interested in hearing our analyst opinions on a stock ETF or lick. And so we based today's episode on a stock that has been in the news a lot lately, and that stock or that company is Perpetual. And Perpetual is an interesting company because its share price has a direct correlation to when Shawnee did and did not work there. <laughs> yes. It was definitely depressed when I was working there, but the value seemed to go up when you, I left. You were depressed. Yeah. No, the stock price was depressed. <laughs> I was trying to make a joke. But we do joke that this is an important disclaimer to make. I did work at Perpetual, but I'm no longer directly invested in the company. And we, of course, approach all of our episodes without bias. Okay. So with that out of the way, with Shawnee's lack of depression out of the way, <laughs> um, why don't you give us a little bit of background as to why Perpetual is in the news at the moment? Sure. So Perpetual has been in the news recently because they've been looking to acquire Pendle. And Pendle is an independent global investment manager that's based in Australia and manages $135 billion. Yeah. So Perpetual is an investment fund and trustee group. So they have three main divisions. Perpetual Investments, which is where you work, Shani. Mm -hmm. 
Then there is, um, and that's an investment manager. And then there's perpetual corporate trust. So that is a trustee. And then there's perpetual private, and that provides financial advice. So perpetual investments in Pendle have been competitors in this space. So they're, of course, competing for funds from people, and especially in the Australian equity space. And Perpetual has been on a bit of an acquisition rampage. They've acquired Fintuition, Barrow Hanley, Laminar Capital, Trillium, and now Pendle, who they acquired at the end of August for $2.5 billion after a failed takeover offer in April. And the reason why this has been in the news is because this is a large deal. So it combines two major Australian financial services firms to create what, you know, perpetual hopes will become Australia's preeminent global asset manager. And to help this cause, the acquisition hopes to increase the scale of the combined business, as well as open access to a larger global distribution team and more expertise and products. Okay, so that's why perpetual is in the news. And we'll come back to what this all means for investors But let's just take a look at the company as a whole, and then we can take a deep dive into what we think, what our analysts think, are the prospects for the stock. All right. So we've already given a little bit of background, but let's go into a little bit more detail about Perpetual. Okay. So as we mentioned, Perpetual has three business offerings. They're an asset manager, a private wealth advisor, and a corporate trust service provider. So Perpetual actually started as a trustee service in 1885 before expanding the business into the three offerings we just mentioned. So the founding committee included Edmund Barton, who is Australia's first prime minister, and James Fairfax of the Fairfax family. But now expansion for Perpetual looks like acquisitions. It's part of the group's strategy to build, scale, and expand its products and services. So we'll start with Perpetual Investments, Shawnee's former home. (laughs) So it is focusing on product, channel, and geographic diversification. And basically what they're looking to do is acquire fund managers because, frankly, they've been struggling with subbar performance in their Aussie investments business, and they haven't been able to grow organically because of that. And they've started to do this. We mentioned Barrow Hanley and Trillium. They're both asset managers that have increased the addressable market by adding to their asset class offerings, especially in the ESG space. And the asset management business is one, just if we look at the business in general, that can scale significantly. So that means that as revenue grows, an increasing amount of that revenue just flows to the bottom line, meaning that margins are growing as revenue grows. And then, of course, profitability increases as it scales. And this makes sense. So let's say it takes three people to pick investments and five people to run operations. Well, if the assets double, you probably aren't going to need to hire many more people. But at the same time, your fees will double since they're charged based on assets. A pretty great business model if it works. But to make it work, you need good performance because that's what investors gravitate to. And good performance can be hard to maintain over the long term. And we see that in our active passive barometer, where most active funds in the large cap equity space underperform the market. When we look to the second arm, the private wealth business, it caters to the wealthy, medical professionals, business owners, family offices, and aged care providers. And they offer financial advice, but they also look to add value for their clients by providing a variety of other services in-house besides just financial advice. So, for example, they acquired a company called Fordham which is an accounting business, and they extend accounting service to their clients. And in return, Fordham also refers new business to Perpetual Private. Then we arrived at Perpetual Corporate Trust. The business provides outsourced responsible entity, custodial and trustee services to debt capital markets and manage funds. These are basically admin services that are necessary to run fund managers. 
They're also looking to acquire to add scale so they can lower their prices and move into value-added services such as data analysis to help increase the stickiness of its client base. To be fair though, there's little market to acquire. They're the leading provider of corporate trustee services to the managed fund and debt markets in Australia with $964 billion in funds under administration. Yeah, and this business line or businesses like it are generally low margin and they perform essential services that are core to other businesses, but it's also very difficult for a company to differentiate their offering from competitors. So that combination makes it unlikely that anyone would want to switch. Any of their customers would want to switch because what's the point of switching if a competitor doesn't offer that much of a better service? when it is critical to your business, but also inexpensive. And that's why scale is so important. Both scale of offerings to make it harder to switch once you've signed up and scale of operations, which can lower cost and make you competitive in a low margin business. Okay. So that's the business. But as we always talk about here on Investing Compass, we're going to talk about the economic moat. So because Perpetual has a diversified business, our analyst has awarded them a narrow economic moat. And because it's diversified and has these three distinct channels, each part of that business has a different competitive landscape. So we'll touch on all of those as well. All right. So our analyst, Sean Lerb, believes that the corporate trust business earns a wide moat through intangible assets because of its brand name, cost advantages, and switching costs. And Perpetual Private, the private wealth operations, earns a narrow moat from its in- intangible assets of its brand and switching costs as well. And you know, Shawnee, perpetual investments where you used to work, Sean does not believe has a competitive advantage. But it's unclear if that changed after your departure. Yeah, we'll have to look at the archive records. Exactly. See when this happened. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's look a little closer at the corporate trust business. It has an intan- intangible brand because it has a long history of providing comprehensive trustee and support services for most securitization transactions since the inception of securitization in Australia in the early 1980s. They've also got the managed fund services business, where they are an established provider of corporate trustee services to uh, manage funds and fund managers and institutional investors, including names we're all familiar with, like JP Morgan and First Centier Investors. The history that they have grants perpetual strong brand recognition and deep client relationships and retention, and some clients have been with them for 20 years. It also helps to bring in new business in a pretty niche market where relationships matter. Yeah, you know, personally, I don't switch securitization services very often, just so everyone's aware. And also, so people are aware, just to make sure we're explaining stuff, securitization refers to taking assets and creating a security. For example, you could take a bunch of loans and create a bond based on them. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, look at cost advantages. So they've uh, got cost advantages that they've derived from scale. For example, the debt markets business oversees about $682 billion in funds under administration, and this is about three times more than its closest competitor. And they achieve cost advantage because the management of these funds is largely through a fixed cost base, which is salaries, that accounts for between 60 to 90% of total costs. And this makes it really difficult for peers to come anywhere close to them in terms of pricing, and they're able to compete with the likes of global custody businesses like Northern Trust, BNY Mellon, and State Street. It's also important to recognize that a large part of custody services is processing and administration, which requires secure, reliable, and often custom software. So there are large costs to develop and maintain software and processes like this to service such large amounts of assets. And 
the scale that they have makes the ongoing technology spend more palatable comparative to a small business with higher fixed costs. And Perpetual is also really good at retaining clients. Yeah, not so good at retaining staff, though, Shani. <laughs> is this whole episode just going to be filled with jabs? Like when you start dating someone and they're upset that you've dated people before them? Okay. You want to go with this dating analogy. Is that, is that what you want to do? Okay, we'll go with the dating analogy. <laughs> okay. So maybe in this relationship, I'm insecure because you constantly tell me about all the other firms that are flirting with you. <laughs> you make jokes about finding something better, and your ex, Perpetual, keeps taking you out. <laughs> so in fact, just so people are aware, once I had to stand here and somebody offered you a job in front of me. So <laughs> from like a dating equivalent standpoint, so that's really... It's somebody proposing to your wife, like right in front of you. <laughs> and I just stood there dumbfounded. And honestly, I had no idea what you were going to say. So yeah, hard situation. You, you didn't know what I was going to say? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. That's that's the insecurity. Um, but I'm really glad that you're at Morningstar, Shani. It makes me very happy. Well, I'm glad to be here too, Mark. But should we go on with Perpetual and how good they are at retaining clients. Okay, let's, okay. let's get back into that. <laughs> okay. So they do this by wrapping their tentacles around them. So they have an extensive service range, admin, asset, safekeeping, reporting, sub-management, accounting. These are all services that are interrelated and work well together. And it means that there's a level of interconnectivity that clients are going to get that they wouldn't if they separated the services amongst multiple providers. Yeah, and we talked about this in a previous episode, that commodities episode, and we actually used Apple as an example. And so Apple, of course, also has an ecosystem that just works really well when you connect all those parts together. And that's really how you attract and then more importantly, maintain your client base. This is just a really unsexy version of the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So let's move on to the last part of the business, Perpetual Private. That's the private wealth division. So they have a narrow economic moat, and that's based on switching costs and intangible assets, which are related to their brand. So we see we see switching costs because of the breadth of the wealth management services that they provide to wealthy clients that typically prefer to have holistic advice, so financial, business, tax, and estate planning. And taking this into account, Perpetual have doubled down on this. They're focused on expanding value adds beyond just financial advice to make them stay with their financial advisors. And we spoke about Fordham, but they've also done this with a couple of other businesses to allow for cross-referral, as we spoke about. Yeah, and we referred to Perpetual's long history of advising and managing money for high net worth clients. And that's, of course, created this strong, intangible brand name. And clients get a lot of security from that. So they also get a sense of security from knowing that all financial adv advisors that Perpetual are salaried employees. They don't receive commissions for selling any products. And there's a much lower level of vertical integration when we're looking at other major advisor groups like AMP or IOOF. And in this space, the Royal Commission rocked a lot of competitors who saw significant outflows as a lot of advised clients lost trust in advisors and in the process. Perpetual seems to be less affected by the fallout as they've seen nine consecutive years of net inflows as of fiscal 2021. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. 
We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. All right, so let's turn our attention to the asset management business. So this is the most well-known part of the business to retail investors, but Sean doesn't think it deserves a moat. Has a large sales team and it has established relationships within the industry, but there are a few problems that have plagued the investment business, namely that they've had patchy relative performance, they have fees that are just around or below peer averages, and they don't have an exotic range of offerings. So they are traditionally an Aussie equity house, and as retail investors broaden their horizons and as passive investments gain traction, coupled with a couple other factors, they've just experienced outflows. And they've tried to address this with the acquisition of other fund managers. Barrow, Henley, and Trillium have better track records and larger addressable markets that could attract inflows, but Sean doesn't think this will help carve out a meaningful competitive advantage. And in the case of fund managers, bigger does not necessarily mean better as the pressure on fees from increased competition and passive fund management will continue. Okay, so all in all, the combination of the three businesses grant Perpetual a narrow moat. What this means is that we believe that Perpetual has competitive advantages that are strong enough to fend off competition and earn high returns on capital for more than 10 years. Okay, so let's get into risk. So are there risks that Perpetual won't get to where they want to go? And, you know, there obviously seems to be a lot of acquisitions to artificially grow and a traditional fund management business that's struggling to maintain inflows. And we address this when we, when our analysts evaluate companies by giving them an uncertainty rating. The uncertainty rating is really just an assessment of how hard it is to estimate future cash flows. When there's more variables that will impact a company's future earnings, the uncertainty rating is high. When future earnings are more predictable and there are less variables, the uncertainty rating is low. And those scenarios that we spoke about have impacted the uncertainty for future earnings for Perpetual. So Sean's assigned Perpetual a medium uncertainty rating. He believes that the key business risks include overpaying for acquisitions and indigestion, of course, when the businesses try to integrate with each other. So he's also mentioned that there are cyclical and structural risks from competition that could lead to net outflows. And that's basically just competing with passive funds and active fund managers being forced to lower their fees to remain competitive and attract fund flows. And another important point, of course, is that perpetual investments makes money through management fees. So the more money they manage, the more money they make. So they've traditionally focused on Aussie equities, but with the acquisition of these global fund managers, they broaden their global footprint. This also opens them up to a greater deal of uncontrollable events. We saw this with the COVID sell-off, and that impacted all markets globally. And it can also impact the amount of funds that they have under management and in turn, the fees that they take. And another factor that may impact fees is that they are value investors. Periods of the market cycle that are unsupportive of value strategies can also cause depressed earnings. And then when we move away from perpetual investments, perpetual private and perpetual corporate trust are really sensitive to macroeconomic conditions. Perpetual private is exposed to the risk of lower inflows and falling revenue growth because their their key clients are business owners and medical professionals. When we look at perpetual corporate trust, their revenue growth is at risk. If we look at periods of poor credit growth and low demand for securitization transactions, 
So this happens when market values of commercial properties decline. So with all those risks taken into consideration, Sean assigns Perpetual a medium uncertainty rating. And we've gone into what this means in other podcasts in depth. Check out our Fortescue Deep Dive if you want a little bit more information on this. But practically, a low uncertainty rating means it's easy for stocks to become five-star stocks as they reduce in price because earnings are more certain, so we don't think you need as much of a margin of safety. It's the other way for a high uncertainty stock, so it takes a much larger discount to reach five stars. All right, so we're going to move on to capital allocation, Shawnee. So we've done a couple episodes on capital allocation, but basically what it just means is how the company and the CEOs and management specifically decides to allocate capital to maximize value for shareholders. So their main choices are they could pay down debt, they could invest in growth, so either internal through endeavors like R&D or external like acquisitions. And then, of course, they can always pay back shareholders and give you dividends. And in the case of Perpetual, they receive a standard capital allocation rating, which is what the majority of companies receive. It means that they're nothing special, but they're doing their job. And we've talked a lot about the acquisitions, and we do think that they've been a relatively successful strategy. So they've helped to reverse many years of outflows and jumpstart earnings growth. But these acquisitions, of course, are reactive measures. Perpetual has to constantly compete with lower cost passive index funds and ETFs, as well as other active managers. The increase in earnings growth will not be sustained by these acquisitions, and they'll have to work hard to maintain growth. There's also efforts to strengthen the perpetual private and corporate trust businesses through the measures that we've mentioned, investing in technology as well as supporting the business offerings. And Sean believes that that's a sound way to build the parts of the business that have predictable earnings growth and contribute to their moats. Yep. And the other part of capital allocation is, of course, looking at the balance sheet. And we think they have a reasonably healthy balance sheet, especially considering they bought all these companies. So the recurring management fees that they get on their funds under management, advice and administration in the three businesses combined with relatively low capital needs allows Perpetual to generate ongoing positive free cash flow. And with debt following the largest acquisition until Pendle, that was Barrow Hanley, debt metrics spiked a little bit. But the ratios still stayed below covenants, which are rules imposed by lenders, and it will reduce over time as operating earnings grow and they take costs out of the business. Perpetual also pays out a dividend, and they've recently revised their dividend policy. So it's now around 60 to 90 percent of underlying profits after tax, while previously it was 80 to 100 percent of net profit. So given the debt they've taken on, that payout rate was just too high to be sustainable. So that leads to the question that we're all waiting to be answered. Well, actually in two parts. So how much we think Perpetual is worth and has the Pendle merger had any material impact on this? Okay. So prior to the announcement of the intended acquisition, Perpetual had a fair value of $43. After the announcement, the fair value dropped to $38.80. And what this drop is reflecting is the value attributed attributable to perpetual shareholders when the two entities combine. The assumption is perpetual will sit at 53%. So basically what this means is that we feel they paid too much and did not add value for shareholders by buying Pendle. But let's look to the future. So Sean thinks that perpetual will be able to grow underlying profit after tax by 4% a year between 2023 and 2027. He thinks that the growth will be driven by perpetual investments and the international asset management business followed by perpetual private and then corporate trust. 
The assumption is that international funds will grow at a 12% compound annual growth rate that will take them to $126 billion, with market returns being the primary driver for this. In 2024, net inflows should resume as well as Perpetual are rewarded for the efforts that they've made to expand their sales and distribution network and their client base and geography. Looking at Aussie investments, the firm should grow a little slower at 8%, also led by market returns, and they should also see net inflow returns in 2024. And at Perpetual Private, Sean expects them to grow funds under advice by 8% a year to $26 billion by 2027. So that's compared to 5% yearly that they've achieved in the five-year period since 2017. So it's started to grow. Perpetual Private has started to grow its advisor count. And they should see a steady flow of clients coming in from the referral business that they've, requi- that they've acquired. We do think that they will become less profitable over time. So that means their margin will reduce. Last but not least, Perpetual Corporate Trust. They've forecasted to grow their funds under advice by 7% yearly to around $1.5 trillion by 2027. This is below the rate that they've been growing in the last five years, which was 11%. Their earnings growth should be supported by an increase in securitization transactions because we'll see debt markets recover and the increase in demand for outsourced responsible entity services. And this has been something that has increased since the fallout from the Royal Commission. We're also pretty hopeful for the prospects of their increased investment in data and analytics as an ancillary service for their clients. Currently, Perpetual is trading at a 34% discount to fair value. And as we're recording this, it is trading at $25.64. So when the announcement came out that the acquisition of Pendle was happening, Perpetual's share price dropped from around $30, which implies that other investors agree with Sean's assessment of the acquisition being too expensive. Conversely, we saw the opposite with Pendle. In the run-up to the announcement, Pendle's share price jumped from $4.77 to $5.16. Ultimately, Sean thinks that the deal isn't going to add value to Perpetual's business over the long term, and he's not confident that the synergies will outweigh the costs, including the $150 million of transaction costs. But regardless of the deal, Perpetual is still undervalued. Okay, so we have finished up our episode of me griping and jealous of Shani's <laughs> previous employer. And we also mentioned a couple things about the company. Is that the most that you've said perpetual since you left? I think so, yeah. Because you probably. Apart from the interviews that I've been in with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. I'm sure Shani came up with lots of reasons why she wants to come back to Perpetual, <laughs> namely that she hates me. But thank you for listening to the podcast. We would appreciate any comments or ratings in your podcast app. And we will be back next week with another episode of Investing Compass. And we'll also put a link in uh, the show notes just to sign up for the conference. So if you'd like to come to the conference, please um, click on that link and there should be a referral code in there as well. I'm sure all your recruiters will show up and try to hire you away in front of me again. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.